0: Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. My name is Ted Flanagan, I am your host, and this episode covers Econet News, Volume 25, Issue Number 9, September 29th, 2023. Quote of the month. Toyota promises EVs with 10-minute recharging and 600-mile range from 2027. Feature article titled, Roger Bierman, CarBuzz. Flanagan's Net Positive, The End of Range Anxiety. EV range used to be the barrier to adoption of electric vehicles. Now with 300 plus mile ranges, it is a barrier only for some. This caught my eye. Fisker is boasting that its 2026 Ronin model will have 600 miles of range. Revealed August 3rd, the concept car design model was on display. A sleek sports car, a luxury carbon fiber, hardtop, convertible. Unlike conventional EV underfloor battery packs, often known as the SLED, the Ronin will use batteries integrated through the vehicle's body structure to achieve its elevated range. Reserve one today with a $2,000 deposit then brace for the $385,000 starting price. We look forward to Ronin's cutting-edge technology, and more so, far less expensive EVs that get 600-plus miles of range per charge, eliminating EV range anxiety. 600 miles of range is more than a typical internal combustion engine vehicle. A Lexus RH450 hybrid gets 30 miles per gallon combined and has a 17.2 gallon fuel tank. It has a range of about 516 miles. Soon EVs will be on the market that beat that. Right now the Fisker Ocean claims to have the longest range of any electric SUV today, 360 miles. Rivian's 2023 R1S gets 321 miles. The Ocean has some seriously funky features such as California mode. Push a button and eight glass panels simultaneously open to transform the SUV into a coastline cruiser. The mode lowers windows, opens the solar sky roof, and drops the rear liftgate window for surfboards. That's the fancy stuff. Now let's get down to basics with mainstream car companies that build cars for the masses. Toyota has announced that its performance lithium-ion batteries, expected in 2026, will deliver a range of over 500 miles. Toyota claims that these batteries will cost 20% less to produce compared to the battery technology in the Toyota BZ4X, and will be capable of 80% recharge in 20 minutes. More recently, Toyota presented its battery technology roadmap promising 600-mile EVs with 10-minute recharging times from 2027 on. Ultimately, Toyota is suggesting a range of 745 miles. That's fantastic. Toyota was slow in its support and adoption of EVs, but it holds more solid-state battery patents than any other automaker, even more than Panasonic. Its chemical engineers have been hard at work. Toyota has announced four new battery technologies, including a solid-state battery and three new liquid electrolyte battery technologies that will increase range and power while reducing charging time and cost. As EV charging networks get built out with fast chargers along all major highways, it may be as easy to fill up your EV as it was your ICE vehicle. American Climate Corps. Three cheers. The U.S. government has now broadened a successful mode. Now we have a new and peaceful core, a force in the making. The new core, the American Climate Corps, will focus on climate. Its goal is to teach thousands of youth in climate-related jobs. Some consider it a New Deal job creation deal. Its initial sites are on 20,000 students per year, effectively entering careers fighting climate change. American Climate Corps' Is an interagency initiative of AmeriCorps, the Departments of Labor, Energy, Interior, Agriculture, and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It is preparing American youths for jobs in clean energy and climate resilience. In n- 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the Alphabet Soup Agencies to get the country back to work after the Great Depression the REC was formed. So was TVA, BPA, SEC, FAA, and over two dozen more, including the Civilian Conservation Corps, CCC. They were emergency relief programs to get the country back on track. There were agencies to regulate banks and the stock market, for debt relief, managing farms, electrification, industrial recovery, and public works construction projects, WPA crews built bridges and other forms of infrastructure across the country. The Civilian Conservation Corps put people back to work after the ravages of the Dust Bowl, the drought that devastated farmlands across the prairies. CCC crews planted three billion trees. In 1955, Elizabeth Titus Putnam, a student of Vassar College, wrote her senior thesis on a proposed conservation corps. Through connections, she was ushered into the Oval Office to meet with President Eisenhower, who liked her idea for a student conservation program, now the Student Conservation Association, SCA. To this day, it builds the next generation of conservation leaders and engages young people in service. Originally, her idea was to take the burden at national parks of labor-intensive jobs such as entrance fee collection and trail work. Today, there are some 4,000 volunteers annually in public lands and urban green spaces, serving more than 500 natural and cultural sites in all 50 states. Since 1957, SCA has had 50,000-plus members around the world. 30 years ago, Bill Clinton signed the National and Community Service Trust Act that formally established AmeriCorps. He said at the time, National Service... I hope and pray, will help us strengthen the cords that bind us together as a people. The next year, 20,000 Americans took the pledge to serve. Since then, there have been 1.25 million AmeriCorps members. They have served and mentored millions of students, supported veterans re-entering the workplace, rebuilt homes after disasters, helped preserve endangered native languages, and offered pathways and second chances for justice impacted Americans. Now, AmeriCorps is being augmented, adapting to today's need, climate leadership and action through the American Climate Corps. Finding synergies with agrivoltaics. Some call it agri solar, others call it agrivoltaics and agrophotovoltaics. In any event, this article is about the dual use of land for agriculture and solar production. Lots of American soil, and soil worldwide, is used for agriculture. Can solar slide in on the use of some of this real estate? Perhaps yes, but sharing sunlight has inherent trade-offs, usually a lack of optimization for solar, and in cases, lower crop yields. Two competing uses for the sun's rays of photons. One growing food, the other growing electrons, a harvest of photons. A favorable agrivoltaics case is when solar panels can be used to buffer against the sun's most intense rays to help crops below. Cool season plants such as the brassicas, like partial shade. Elevated solar arrays can reduce air temperatures and soil evaporation. Agrivoltaics has its roots in many countries around the world. Two Germans wrote an early 1980s academic paper on the field of agrivoltaics. Today, there are a wide variety of agrivoltaic projects around the world, from Croatia to Vietnam, from Japan to Chile. University of California, Davis, Department of Agronomy researchers, are studying agrivoltaics with alfalfa, sorghum, lettuce, spinach, beets, carrots, chard, radishes, potatoes, arugula, and many more vegetables. UC Davis has a one-acre test site with PV, and nearly seven acres designated as the control site. Another aspect of agrivoltaics is solar grazing, where livestock graze around panels. Sheep seem to be appreciated for their grazing. I believe it's goats that nibble on electrical wires, chewing wires connecting the arrays. In best cases, livestock naturally mow around the solar structures, reducing mowing costs and emissions, and a win-win for solar production and local sheep farmers keen on grazing their flock on fresh grasses rockport maine is on the map with one of the largest agrivoltaics installations in america a 4.2 megawatt solar array over wild blueberries maine is the world's largest producer of wild blueberries native to new england and atlantic canada maine has 36,000 acres in wild blueberry production much of it in the vast barrens of down east bushes also carpet rolling hills along the mid-coast. There, the University of Maine's cooperative extension is evaluating solar production. Fully 10,608 panels cover 12 acres of south sloping fields that had an existing crop of wild blueberries. Researchers are studying how valuable agricultural land can accommodate both solar installation and crops, easing tension between these land uses. The racking of panels is four feet above ground on the low side and eight feet on the high side. Some of the panels used are bifacial, allowing for more sunlight to hit the crops and for greater solar production. Wine and CO2. Bloomberg News reports on the connection between champagne and climate. It's the corks. They are rooted in the age-old tradition of growing and harvesting cork, a practice that illustrates a form of smart carbon management. Cork oak trees Are well-managed long-term carbon sinks. Cork oak, Quercus suber, is a medium-sized evergreen tree that is the primary source of cork. The tree is native to southwest Europe and northwest Africa in the Mediterranean basin. It is known to endure droughts and to make little demands on soil quality. Cork is made from slabs of bark stripped from cork trees. The cork has many uses, best known for its stoppers, for wine and champagne bottles. It was first used by Egyptian and Persians as fishing floats, later by Romans and Greeks for sandals and to seal jars. It wasn't until the late 1970s that corp began its intimate relationship with wine bottles. Today, and in, in addition to plugging wine bottles, the light, spongy material is used in everything from clothing to insulation. It's used in shoes. It's also used for cork flooring, and the cores of cricket balls. It insulates cars and high-speed trains, even ser- serving on space shuttles. It's used for the handles of classy fishing rods. Cork is grown in managed habitats, called montados in Portugal and dehesas in southern Spain. The cork consists of dead, air-filled, thin-walled cells and contains cellulose and suberin. the latter of which gives it its water-repellent properties. The cork layer is replicated by the cork-producing phelogen and can therefore be harvested repeatedly. Cork trees can live to 400 years old. Cork is harvested without machinery. At 25 years, typically, five cork strippers remove the outer bark from the trunk with their bare hands. They use specialized skills to harvest bark without inflicting damage to the tree. First, they use their axes to cut deep into the bark, then they twist their axes and use the handles to prise long cork planks from the tree trunks. If they cut too deep, they injure the tree, tree and its future harvest. Too shallow and the planks are of insufficient depth for the finest cork stoppers in the wine industry. Experts say that cork is more sustainable than lumber, as it's harvested from trees that don't need to be cut down. Cork's bark regenerates every nine years. Cork itself is the result Of carbon sequestration. It is the manifestation of the storage of carbon. Harvesting cork bark assists in the absorption of CO2. Harvested cork trees absorb three to five times as much CO2 as non-harvested trees. Cork oak trees in Portugal reportedly help offset 10 million tons of carbon every year. According to the proprietor of the Ameren Cork Empire and the world's largest producer, Antonio Rios de Ameren, For every single ton of cork produced, we are taking about 73 tons of CO2 that are captured. These figures came from a Price Waterhouse study that also determined that every cork stopper accounts for 13.8 ounces of sequestered carbon. Of insulation boards available for builders today, a comparative study found that only cork has a negative carbon footprint. The downside? It takes a long time to grow a mature tree enough for harvest, typically 25 years. Some thus quip that cork farmers are planting for their grandchildren. This has discouraged some producers. Growing olive trees and managing vineyards generates revenues faster. Drip irrigation has the promise of shortening the timeline for cork trees to reach maturity in 10 years. But cork trees normally grow in cork oak forests where one is unlikely to irrigate. Worse yet, Cork is increasingly being replaced by other materials as a bottle cap, potentially resulting in in a decline of cork oak forests and associated species loss, including Iberian lynx and imperial eagles. Makes me want to keep a lookout for cork. Tesla moves into wireless EV charging. Tesla's move to buy a wireless EV charging company caught my attention. Will EV charging soon be wireless? Sounds pretty nice. We've reported on induction charging before. Just like our electric toothbrushes, in the future, it is likely that our cars will be charged overnight without a physical connection. Tesla has recently acquired the German-based company Wifirion for $50 to $100 million. This will allow Tesla to launch its own wireless charging platform. Wifirion is known in Germany for its inductive charging of industrial robots and electric vehicles. Tesla has reportedly not been very keen on wireless charging. It solves a problem that is not very major. EV drivers don't seem to mind plugging in their cars. It's much more convenient than going to a gas station. So why now? Why the acquisition? Pundits speculate that Tesla is getting ready for autonomous vehicles. If they can drive themselves, shouldn't they be able to charge up by themselves? French Wind Trees Wind Trees is a French startup. Its product is an artificial tree that generates renewable energy. The wind trees have multicolored arrow leaves on their branches, which are small vertical axis wind turbines. Their startup is called New World Wind and began by manufacturing prototypes for installations in France, Belgium, and Germany. Since then, the company has scaled up its operations and it has made its trees for clients in France, Switzerland, Sweden, Dubai... Tokyo, New Delhi, and the Netherlands. The locations include a French theme park where visitors can charge their cell phones from the tree's power. Each wind tree stands 32 feet tall. Each arrow leaf is about 3 feet tall. Each tree's nominal power of 5.4 kW is based on 163 watts per arrow leaf and 36 leaves per tree. The arrow leaf's small blades are optimized for low winds. Electromagnetic brakes. For each leaf can shut down the mini turbines in high winds. While not large and powerful, reportedly they have a track record of perfect acceptability. London's bold climate action. Just back from travels in four European countries. In each case, we witnessed the fast pace of the green revolution lots more solar, electric cars, cabs and lorries, e bikes, and zero emissions in port ships. The green transition that is so evident in California is equally so in many parts of America and is exciting in the UK, Portugal, Spain, and Italy. Boy, are many Brits, including our dear friends who hosted us there again, up in arms about London's new law to tighten vehicle emission standards for the city. Clearly an initiative with the best of green intentions, it has drawn the ire of the public. Nevertheless, an ultra-low emission zone, ULEZ, has been established, a ring that circles most of Greater London. All vehicles that enter the zone must meet a stated emission standard or pay 12.5 British pounds a day, about 15 U.S. dollars, to operate there. Older diesels tend to fail. There is a history of tightening up emissions in London, In 2008, a a scheme to lessen diesel emissions in central London was put into place. It created a low-emission zone that was for commercial vehicles only. The LEZ LEZ law was effective in cleaning up London's buses in central London London, in an area that corresponded with London's congestion zone. In 2015, then-Mayor Boris Johnson announced a new law the ultra-low-emission zone, ULEZ. It was planned to go into effect in 2020. In 2017, subsequent mayor Sadiq Khan introduced a toxicity charge. It preceded the ULEZ, which he introduced ahead of schedule. In April of 2019, the ULEZ went into effect in a limited zone for 365 days a year. Fines for non-compliant vehicles were 12 pounds per day for cars, vans, and motorcycles, and 100 pounds a day for lorries, buses, and coaches. Within a month, the number of the worst polluting vehicles dropped from 35,578 to 26,195. The zone was then extended in 2021 and then again in August of 2023, covering almost all of Greater London, resulting in lots of press and pundits and complaints. There are loopholes, Vehicles over 40 years in age are considered historic and are exempt, as are cranes, agricultural, and military vehicles. Some drivers joke about buying an old polluting clunker to get around. There are about 5 million people in the ULEZ. It is estimated that 20 to 40,000 vehicles will be taken off the road as a result of the law. Most of the vehicles, motorbikes, petrol cars, and diesel cars that are non-compliant are pre 2007 pre-2006, and pre-2015, respectively. Many are paying the fine. In 2022, the zone brought in 224 million pounds. A scrappage scheme developed for the congestion zone was for those on income support and disabilities, resulted in 12,000 vehicles taken off the road. Initially, participants got up to 7,000 pounds, around $8,500, for a car or van operating in the congestion zone, plus 2,500 pounds, about 3,000 US dollars, if replaced with an electric vehicle. Later, the incentive was dropped. So far, the program has paid out 61 million pounds, about 74 million dollars. London has taken bold steps to cut pollution in central London and now to curb emissions throughout greater London. Its progressive actions are not without challenges. Certainly, the law is drawing the ire of many drivers as an unfair, egregious tax. It is really tough on workers that can't afford new cars, much less having a place to park and charge an EV. In addition to public sentiment, a study by the Center for Transport Studies found that the ULEZ is not particularly effective in stemming air pollution, fueling exasperation for those most impacted. Back to bold action. London is taking the leadership position. And this wedge of the climate action pie is tough. The transition to a clean air fleet is painful. The good news is that the air is cleaner and there are fewer GHG emissions because the most polluting vehicles are being scrapped. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.